This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Georgina McCarrow from Channel 10 in Melbourne. Georgina has spent the past decade working in media, firstly in radio for 2SM and 2UE, and then in television for Channel 7 in Sydney and Cairns, and Channel 10 in Sydney and Melbourne. She chats about getting her first gig the day after her graduation, adjusting to life and work in Sydney, and her sea change year in Cairns. Georgina is one of the most delightful and fun people you'll ever meet, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Georgina McCarrow, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Ralph, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, you're currently working with Channel 10 in Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. It's, um, it's great. I've been here for about 18 months, um, other than adjusting to the Melbourne weather and going out on stories wearing four layers and gloves. It's, um, it's really good. Yeah. It's different, different pace to Sydney, but, um, we're really enjoying it. Now let's go back to where it all sort of started for you. If we can hop back in our little time machine and, (laughs) and work through what has been a a career that spanned more than a decade. Can you tell me? Has it? God. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to make you sound so old, but um, experience is the key, you know. I think that's what we need to play on here. I say. So was media something that you were always interested in as a kid or in school or stuff like that? Yeah, I I was terrible at maths like most journos um, and I loved English. I loved all the arts, really. I grew up. Um, doing a lot of performing arts like ballet and musicals and a lot of acting and drama and stuff. So I always loved that sort of side of everything. And when it came to maths and science, I was completely useless. So anything, um, I loved story writing when I was little and poetry and all of that sort of stuff. So um, when it sort of got to like later in high school where we had to decide, I sort of was very, um, I was very serious about my ballet, but I kind of didn't want to go down that path of trying to be a professional ballerina. I didn't really want to teach ballet for the rest of my life. And I, I loved acting as well, but sort of the same thing thought, Oh, how many, you know, how much work is there for actors? And so I sort of, I did a year of uni of something else and, and I thought, oh, what about what about journalism? I like writing. That seems to make sense. So, um, yeah, I went to QUT in Brisbane and did a journalism degree and loved it. I loved uni. What was it that you liked about university and the, that particular course? It just all of a sudden sort of made sense. There was um, a lot of things at school that I, I didn't really enjoy Um, but all of a sudden doing something that I loved every single day, I knew that it was the right kind of path to go down. And, um, we were very lucky at QT. We had excellent tutors and tutors and lecturers. Um, and we were very hands-on. So we got to do 
our own radio and TV um, bulletins and broadcasts that went on, you know, community radio and TV. And I just, I loved every second of that. Um, so it, I just knew from then it was, you know, sort of the, the area I wanted to go down. And were there any other people in your course that have gone on to become media people? Yeah, there, there is actually. Um, there's quite a few in in Brisbane, some girls at Seven Brisbane. Um, so they, they stayed in, in Brizzy. Um, a few have now gone overseas. Um, one girl actually was she was the Choppergate girl. I don't know if you remember that, but she was um, Oh yeah. She was a bit of a golden she was a golden girl at uni and yeah, then she, she was Choppergate. Um Jess Turner, who is at ten in Sydney, she was in, in my year at uni. So yeah, there was a, a, a whole um a whole group of us. I think QT gave us all a very, very good good grounding um to then go out and find jobs. Now, how did you then make your progression from university into a paid gig in the media? Uh, I did. I didn't do that much work experience. I know people that did a lot more work experience than I did, um, but I had. I went and got voice um, lessons with through a, a lady who was recommended through the uni, um, Melissa Agnew, and she was a godsend for a lot of us. Um, I mean, she was a brilliant voice coach, but she also was a very good kind of counsellor and just ear to sort of listen to a lot of my dramas through uni. And she put me forward for some work experience at Channel 7 on the sunny coast. Um, so I did that for a couple of weeks. Um, when I was at school, actually, I did do work experience at Channel 9 in Brisbane and with Brisbane Extra. Um, but none of that actually led to jobs. It was um, in the end, it was just applying for stuff, you know, like through Seek or whatever it was. And I got a phone call one night from a radio station in Sydney, um, to SM saying, would you like a job? I, I didn't even really do an interview with me. They said, are you prepared to move to Sydney? <laughs> I remember putting the phone down on the kitchen bench and yelling out to mum and dad, oh, could I move to Sydney? And then that was sort of it. We were in Sydney that weekend trying to desperately find me somewhere to live. So that all happened um, very quickly. I actually moved the day after I graduated from QUT to start um, at 2SM. Wow, that's um, quite a story given the fact that you sort of just graduated the, the day before and then off you were changing states and all of that kind of thing. Was it a bit daunting initially? Yeah, it was. I remember I couldn't go to, they had a like a graduation party um, and I couldn't go because I was like, oh, I've got to go to Sydney tomorrow, like pack up my my life. So it was, it was all of those first things. Like I had never had a full-time job, obviously. I'd never moved out of home and moving into state as well. Um, I didn't know a soul in Sydney. So mum and dad made sure I found they, you know, left me somewhere that was relatively close to 2SM in Piermont so I could walk to the city and kind of be a bit close to work so I didn't have to navigate lots of travel and stuff. And it it actually worked out really well in the end because I got put on to be breakfast newsreader after about two days of working there. So it was 4am starts to midday finishes and no one ever told me at uni I'd have to get out of bed at three in the morning. So that was all a bit of a shock. But then we'd finish work at midday and I think we literally would go out from 
Friday Arvo drinks all the way through till bedtime Sunday afternoon. So we just hit the ground running when I moved to Sydney. So tell me about all of that. Take me through the whole situation of picking up a media gig in Sydney, working breakfast, which you said the hours were horrendous. I mean, it must have just been a complete whirlwind to do all of those things, like in the space of a couple of days from getting a phone call. Yeah, it it really was. I think that the good thing when I started at 2SM, there were a lot of girls in, and I mean just girls, in the same position as I was. Um, one girl, Aileen, who now works at SBS down here in Melbourne, um, she had just moved from Perth and her and I clicked straight away um, because we sort of had just gone through the same thing of finding somewhere to live, you know, in a weekend and leaving home and leaving our families and all of that sort of stuff and then being thrown onto these quite odd hours like that we had never experienced before. So it was really good that there were people um, to go through that kind of change with. And I really loved radio. I thought, you know, wow, look at me, I'm reading radio news like that people actually are listening to in their car. Like I couldn't believe that it sort of happened so quickly. Um and then, you know, there were other amazing girls there, um, like Vic Owens, who's now at Channel 9, and Emily Smith, who's down here as well at the ABC. Um, all of these sort of Sydney girls who kind of took me under their wing and sort of showed me the city, and, and I loved it. Like, I loved everything about Sydney and work, and other than being tired sort of through the week, it was pretty good finishing work at midday on a Friday and, you know, we used to go home, have a nap, get changed and go to Ryan's bar. That was like our Friday ritual. And in radio all of a sudden you get to see the city because you're jumping in a car and driving around and, you know, covering 20 stories a day. So it was um, all of these kind of doors opened and, um, experiences sort of fell upon me and doing sport and police and courts and everything kind of all at once. So it was, it was really a great um, learning experience. And I was, I was lucky that there were people there to kind of go through all the steps with, as we learnt, you know, even how to read the news, like no one really tells you. And when you, you stuff up, you you know, try not to laugh and keep going. I guess that's the great thing that 2SM provided for so many people is that it was pretty much like a, a cadetship, but for the big roles that other people with more important sort of job titles were doing at other radio stations like 2UE and 2GB, whereas 2SM pretty much just said, right, well, here you go, away you go and do your best and there you were just learning on the job, whereas other people in other stations like those other ones that I mentioned were pretty prestigious roles, I guess, to, to read Breakfast News. So it w- must have been a, a great grounding for you to do that and also the fact that 2SM went out into so many different regional markets as well. Yeah, it was. And you were sort of left to your own devices just to, to figure it out yourselves. You know, you'd be doing an overnight shift and it would just be, you know, you and you and one other girl. And, um, but that was how, I mean, that I met my, my best friends at, at 2SM, like, and whether it was on a, on an overnight shift with, 
you know, Cass Wood or, or Vic or any of those girls who are all so successful now in media jobs, um, you know, we just bumbled our way through. It was like they you know, were just left up to, you know, a group of 21, 22-year-old girls. But, you know, we did it and we got all the experience that you could have ever wanted and it was it was a fabulous opportunity to, you know, get a gig straight out of uni in a capital city to be doing a, a, an amazing job. I guess also the radio industry being what it is, as you mentioned, allowed you to sort of find your feet socially, whereas if you were in a different industry, everybody sort of clocks off and goes home their separate ways and whereas radio people, it's a weird thing because it's a shared experience, right? So you pretty much live and breathe it in the newsroom, but you also socialise as well. So it has that really strong component to it as well. Yeah, and I think that was where someone like me who didn't know anyone in Sydney, where I felt so lucky because you would go out on jobs and, you know, it wasn't just the people in your newsroom. All of a sudden you were out on a story with someone from 2GB and 2UE and with reporters from 7, 9 and 10. And so you were meeting all of these other people every day and you weren't, you know, the new girl that didn't know anyone anymore because every day you were out and you'd see the same familiar faces and and that was how, like, I made my core group of friends and they are all still my closest friends, like the ones that I met pretty much on the road in those first few years in Sydney went on to become, you know, my, my closest friends. So I always think we are, as journos, really lucky in that regard because you're not just working with the people in your office every day. You're working with people from rival networks who, who become your mates. How important was that for you and how does it, having traversed the, the country a bit in, in recent years, how does Sydney media compare to other places that you've worked in and where you came from in, in Brisbane? I actually think it's it's pretty much all the same. Like Sydney's a lot more fast-paced and a lot more intense, but in terms of those friendships and those bonds made out on the road, it's the same anywhere. Like even when I was in little tiny cans, you you know, you still rely on those familiar faces because you never know when someone's going to help you out. Like those days in radio where, you know, your battery would die on you. I can't even remember what it's called, <laughs> your recorder. Um, and someone would go, oh, it's all right, I'll just give you the audio. Like that, you know, that's so important. Um, and, and you know, when you, you're competing and whatever, that's all fine, that's all still there. But it is important to have people who've got your back. How long did you spend at 2SM and then when did you make the move to Wait. It was probably just a year, I think. I, I reckon I did a year there and then um, got a call from 2UE saying, would you like to come over here? Um, I think another girl had recently gone from 2SM to 2UE and had sort of said, you know, I was ready to um, to move on. Um and yeah, went went to two UE and just had a ball for close to two, about eighteen months. I think I was there almost. Yeah, would have been close to two years. Um, with yeah, with some fabulous people and just again like all those opportunities that opened. I think the the scariest thing about two UE was driving around um, 
I remember Derek Peterson on my first day said, like, you need to go to St. Mary's. And I had no idea where St. Mary's was. I just thought, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) What do you mean? I need to drive a long way away. (laughs) Just terrified. I used to pack my GPS in my handbag every single morning. Um, But it was, yeah, we did some great, some great stories at TUE. What was that like going into a newsroom like that that had such a, a rich history for news and then obviously um, a much bigger team than what you were used to at 2SM and the standards, with all due respect to 2SM, would have been a whole lot higher as well because of the, the mm-hmm. ratings which 2SM weren't entering in at that stage. So what was that like moving from somewhere like 2SM where you sort of learnt on the run to being expected to deliver at 2UE? Yeah, it was um, – I sort of – I didn't understand the history until um, I think my parents probably told me how old the station was and, um, you know, how far reaching their audience was. And that was when I, I kind of realised, oh, this is – you know, this is a good – this is a good gig. Like I'm working somewhere really highly respected in Sydney. Everyone listens to us on the radio and – I remember even getting a phone call from a TV journal one day asking me where I'd found, uh, you know, a witness for, I think it was a plane crash. Um, I'm thinking, oh, wow, like people listen, like the TVs listen to us. And I just had no idea it was, um, you know, so highly, we were all so highly respected um, in that job. And it was it was fantastic to you, Eve. Like we we had a ball. We were a family. We really were. And some of the stories that I did over the years, I remember um, it was a weekend and I was on with Leonie, who now works at Channel 7, and um, Stu was in sport. I think he's at Fox now. And the three of us were just sitting there, you know, all got on like a house on fire and someone had been – We'd heard someone had been shot sitting in a yellow Lamborghini in their front yard. And Leonie and I were like, oh, it's not that many people who drive yellow Lamborghinis. And, you know, we knew the suburb and stuff. And Stu's dad was a real estate agent or something and said, and it was like, oh, I think he sold that house to um, one of the Ibrahims. And all of a sudden, all of these like little pieces of the puzzle, we all just kind of clicked and went, oh, I think it's Fadi, Ibrahim's been shot. And so I jumped in the car and drove out there. And I remember it because it's the first time I saw, like, blood on a driveway from, like, a shooting. And um, I I remember ringing um, Clinton, our news director, and saying, like, can we go with it? Like, we're pretty sure it's Fadi. And he's like, yep, go with it. So we just went to air saying that, that he'd been shot and we were right, but it was just such a a combination of the three of us, like Leonie and I sort of knowing the King's Cross club scene from a few weekends of going out together and um, and this house being sold or whatever it was that we kind of put two and two together and came up with the right answer. So that was one of those days where, you know, you were just trusted to to go with, you know, your instincts and, to do the right thing a lot of the time as well because often you were on your own and you had to think, well, what am I going to do? Like do I jump in the car and go go to this? Or, yeah, you know, you can't really sit around and wait in radio. You've got to just get going. So there were um, there were a few of those days, um, but they were, they were fabulous. Like I loved them. You would have 
covered a bit of ground in your time there at Chiyue, doing various roles and different shifts. What is it that you enjoyed the most? Were you someone that liked reading or were you someone that liked getting out on the road and reporting? Um, I did like reading, but I loved, we used to have a 6am till like 2pm shift. And I think that was my favourite because you always, you know, you got the early morning kind of crime run around and then something might happen and you'd be off to a sport presser or, you know, the PM would be doing something. So you'd be off to that. So I, um, I loved the pace of radio, um, and just the going nonstop. And then, you know, doing things like phoners, remember one year I was doing Darling Harbour, New Year's Eve in Darling Harbour, but I just lived near Darling Harbour. So I just remember doing it from my house, from the balcony. How good is it? Close enough on the phone. Um, and they were great, like those those fun kind of chatty phone interviews, um, you know, cr- sort of crosses, I guess, live crosses on the phone that you often were, you know, running between one thing and another thing and all of a sudden they'd put you through to programs and you'd be talking about the last thing you were at but you were heading to the next story. So it was just that nonstop kind of think on your feet. So I did – I did love that, but I um I also liked reading, like when, you know, the presenters would give you a, a hard time or say something funny and I liked that interaction too with um the the on air talent. That was always that was always really fun. What did that teach you about thinking on your feet and things like that because you know, sometimes those live crosses and those interactions with the announcers don't necessarily go to script, so to speak. So you do have to think on the run. Yeah, you do. And and you can get caught out. There was, you know, there was no one sending you a list of questions that the presenter was going to ask you or anything like that. And often, um, you know, a producer would ring you and say, oh, we're putting you through now. And you're like, oh God, okay. Yep. Yep. And I, th- I think I actually remember running, doing one to try to get to a protest at, at state parliament that I had obviously couldn't find a park, was running late to or something and just talking while running down the street and I could sort of see people, you know, in the far off distance at this protest like that. But that was just normal because you knew you had to do it. You couldn't say, oh, I'm not there yet. Like they just, you know, that once they say they're putting you through, they're putting you through, you're on the air, like off you go. So that was, um, that was great. And I actually think, you know, moving into TV, it puts you in a really good position to do live crosses on TV because you just need to talk. That was, I mean, I did get caught out. Um, I can't remember who it was. One of the presenters said to me, oh, did anyone ask? Someone had resigned and they said, did anyone ask who his replacement's going to be? And no one had asked that question at this press conference. And I was like, oh. Pretty <laughs> obvious question, but nobody, yeah, yeah sometimes no you're just sort of get left unsaid and then you're sort of left yeah. there trying to come up with an answer that you don't have. Yeah, and I was just like, Ah, uh, it's it's yet to be decided. Like just you know, all of a sudden you you can't just say no, nah, no one asked that. You've got to you know just keep just filling you know silence with words a lot of the time in radio because there's nothing nothing worse than dead air. So you just keep talking. Now imagine for you, TV was always going to be on the radar. How was it that it came about that you moved to Channel Seven? I when I got my job at Seven, I was. I was quite young. I was like 23 or something. And I just remember thinking this is this is my dream come true. This is it. I'm I'm done. Um and I felt very honored to be there, you know, working alongside 
all of those amazing, um, you know, Rizzo and and all of those people, Rob Bavardia. Like I just remember thinking, wow, this is this is real stuff now. And and especially being at Seven in Martin Place, like having um, Sunrise downstairs and huge international celebrities come in and it was it was amazing but it was really hard work um the producing hours we did a lot of sunrise which was the midnight starts to 9am finishes um and it was tough it was it was really tough and i felt very young um at times there and very overwhelmed by it all um but it was you know, like, like all of, I think all of this industry, you, you get thrown in and it's, it's sink or swim. Um, and I just remember thinking that no, you can do this, you can do this. And after that was probably about a year, they started to let um, me do some weekend reporting shifts, which um, was excellent and um, still doing a bit of sunrise and sort of a, a good mixture of all over the place. And because there were all of the bulletins, so you could be working on morning news or afternoon news and um, all the 6pm news. So you've got a really good grounding for national stuff as well as as well as well local stuff. Um, and I really liked that. I liked learning how to put a bulletin together and I liked learning how to um, go into a control room and doing all of that. Like I just kept thinking the more I know how to do, the better I'll be in the long run. Tell me about those hours. Like you mentioned earlier, the breakfast radio hours were hideous. <laughs> Starting at midnight and finishing at 9am. Now, for the f- people that are watching at home, they just think it's a seamless production with a few people working behind the scenes. It's really a massive team effort when it comes to something like Sunrise and producing the, the news for, for something like that. Tell us about what that is actually like sitting there, going into work at, at midnight and being there while the, the show's going to air because it is something that is a bit of a thankless job at times and, and unless you really love it, it's not something that you can even No, it's, uh, that, it's not for everyone, absolutely. And the, the people that um, work in breakfast TV still and have done for years, like I take my hat off to them because it's, it is – exhausting um the shifts go really fast because you're really super busy it's, it's odd explaining it to people they say oh but what's happening at two in the morning not understanding that you're prepping the whole time to be on air well, we had the early news at 5 30 and then sunrise on air at six so you'd put together a half hour bulletin for the early news and then you would start working on the six o'clock bulletin for in sunrise, um, which is only a couple of minutes long, but um, by then new stuff's happening all the time and that's um, what those breakfast shows do so well is everything's fresh. So the minute something new happens, you get it on air um, and so you're constantly kind of similar to, to breakfast radio, which is why I, quite, I found it quite easy um, because you knew how to keep stuff sounding new every half hour. Um, and you're just churning it out and making sure you do have the newest stuff on air, literally as soon as the pictures come into the newsroom. And, again, you've got an excellent team that, that props you up and keeps you awake and <laughs> all the rest of it gets you through the, the shift. 
What was the transition like for you? I mean, a lot of people find TV a completely different beast to radio, whereas you've sort of said that there were some similarities on the, the job that you were doing. I guess, like most people been on this podcast before that have made the transition, the hardest thing is linking everything up to pictures, whereas in radio, you can just write what has happened, whereas there's so many other components that come together for a new segment on TV. Yeah, I, I don't remember finding it a difficult transition. I do remember writing my first TV package and it was only about 30 seconds long, which was like how long a radio story would be. And one of the other producers said, oh no, you can have, you know, a minute 10. I was like, oh God, what I've said everything. Like what else do I have to say? Um, But other than that, I don't, I don't remember it being an overly difficult transition. And again, I was lucky because a lot of people already knew me from to UE from being out on the road. So there were a lot of, um, you know, people who'd been in the industry for a while and had been around for a while who were looking, looking out for me and stuff. So that was, um, that was good. But yeah, I, I don't remember the transition being difficult. The hours, you know, this, the, the early mornings or midnight starts, you know, knocked me, knocked me about for a bit. Um, I was a bit sick for a while and it kind of, you know, you do have to really look after yourself because you just can't do it. Like it's, yeah, you, you really have to look after your health. Um, but that was something I had to learn as well during it all. Like you can't, what's the saying, burn the candle at both ends, which I think I did a lot of the time. It must be difficult to sustain that for a long period because like you said, I mean, it does have its impact on your health if you don't sort of look after yourself and having spent a lot of years doing breakfast radio you spent the time pretty much in in jet lag mode Mm. just sort of trying to adjust you know should you nap of an afternoon should you push through and then all of a sudden it's just becomes one day runs into another but I can't imagine the longevity in doing those shifts that you guys were expected to do in those producing shifts where you do, I think, four days of 10-hour shifts and then have three days off. Yeah, it is a constant kind of battle between when when do you nap. I used to be able to go out for a nice lunch, like if other people were working early morning. So that was always good. And then anything post-lunch, I just, I couldn't handle. But I think the best things on those, those early, early morning shifts were the fact that it did go really fast and you were setting the news for the day. So you were across everything. And then it was, it was really nice then to watch the six o'clock news, you know, that night before you'd go to bed and see that you'd kind of helped set up a lot of those stories by, um, you know, whether it was having a reporter um, during the show that, that maybe got a, a witness or a victim or talent or whatever live on the show that then could have been used that night. So it was um, it was a very they were very rewarding shifts, even though they were exhausting. You mentioned there that Seven allowed you to sort of cut your teeth from a reporting aspect on on the weekends, and one of the other great times for for that the Christmas period where a lot of people have break over over that period. So what was that like for you? getting that little taste of, of reporting, having done it from the other side and the, the producing side of things? It was, yeah, it was excellent. It was everything um, that that I wanted. It was nerve-wracking as well. Um, they also we used to have a really good shift, um, which was a field-producing shift, and you started at six and you kind of helped the um, 
the chase reporter or the crime reporter who would be on at five. Um, if there were two crime scenes or something, you'd sort of go and help gather stuff for them. Um, and then after a while I would do, you know, the 11 o'clock, um, the morning news crosses or the Arvo crosses to give the um, six o'clock reporter, you know, the day to, to do stuff. So that was, that was really good experience. And um, yeah, there were, there were a lot of, a um, lot of times during those shifts where I was like, Oh yeah, that was, that was good. You know, you did get, get good stuff that maybe other people didn't do. And all of those little bits help, you know, boost yourself. And also, um, you know, you, you're just building, how you approach talent and how you, you, you know, you get them over the line or just, just practicing stuff, I suppose, and getting, um, getting people to talk to you that you might not have thought you would have been able to do. So a lot of that running around and gathering, even if it was then going to go into someone else's package, it still was excellent experience. And you could sort of sit back at the end of the day and be like, Oh, I really helped you know, someone who's a really senior reporter. So that was all, yeah, that was really rewarding. Was there anyone in particular during your early days there at Seven that helped you out a lot, that sort of showed you the way that TV functioned and the the reporting side of it, which you sort of thought, oh, that's how they do it or that's the bit that that I'm missing in my sort of knowledge bank? Yeah, I guess um, that was one of the best things at Seven, um, I thought, because – because of people like Chris Reason and um, Rob Bavardia and those guys, you just thought, oh, wow, like and um, Paul Caddock, you know, all of those, you would look at their scripts and you would learn just by reading their scripts, like learning how to set set a script out or, um, you know, where they would maybe put a little up sort of a noise Um like I didn't know how to how to write properly, so that was um, looking at those guys was always um, yes, they were always people I I really looked up to. Um, Talitha Cummins was excellent mentor. Um, she always helped me more, you know, more as a mate when I didn't really know what to do, and she'd sort of had a similar like Brizzy girl, and she went to Cairns, which I ended up doing as well. Um, so she she really helped and um, and Dougie, one of the producers on Sunrise, David Walters, he is a, a close friend now. We just sort of you know you bond with people at one in the morning, <laughs> even if you don't you don't think you do. It um yeah, it's an odd time of day to make friends, but you do. Can you remember the first package that you did as a reporter, or the first live cross that you did? How did it go? The first package I did was uh, Sydney Festival. That was the, the first package I did. I think it was all right for a colour story. I remember doing a walking down the stairs piece of camera and people were like, oh, you walked on your first piece <laughs> of camera. And my first live cross was a a ute, some kind of tradie who had driven a ute to a house and then wanted to blow it up. Um, and I got there about I was on another store, like helping out on another store, and I got there and they said, oh, you can do the 11 a.m. morning news cross, and I'd never done a cross before. Um, but the link truck wasn't there, and so it got there and they set up with about 30 seconds to go, and I had been there for all of about a minute. So there was zero time to prepare, but I think that was probably the best um, 
the best thing was if I had have had hours and practice and written out lines and stuff, I probably would have buggered it up. But I just kept thinking, oh, what if mum rang me right now? What would I tell her? Like if she said, where are you? What are you doing? So I just did that. I just talked like I was talking to mum and not Ann Sanders. That's a really great thing to pass on to people is that it's really that simple, isn't it? It's explaining a story, how you would talk to your mum or how mm. you would talk to your best friend and explaining a situation. I think a lot of people might get carried away and overawed and try to cram too much detail in, but I think that really just breaking it down to its simplest form, ultimately you're just telling a story. Yeah, and especially when it, it wasn't something that I needed to remember of facts, you know, like facts and figures. It was literally what I knew, what I'd had time to chat to a few neighbours, so what they'd told me in terms of what it sounded like and what they saw and then just kind of talking about the scene around me and that that was a radio thing as well, a radio skill to just talk about what you can, you know, what you can see um, and, yeah, just, just have a com- conversation because I didn't have to remember facts and figures. You just kind of had to say, what what had happened and that was sort of it. So um yeah, I still I still think like that when I do crosses now. Like what would what would I say to mum if she rang me? Now the time came for you to make a bit of a move. Was it the the fact that you didn't feel like there was going to be any more advancement at seven, which is why you sort of moved across to, to channel ten? Um no, not at all. I I think I just wanted I think I just wanted to change um Ten had come to me with a, a really good opportunity um, to be part of their new morning news, um, and I was was going to be the EP of the morning news. And I thought, oh wow, running my own news—that yeah, okay, it sounds good. And like I was all for kind of just learning new stuff still, and that was that was part of it. Um, it meant going back to those horrendous hours, but, um, it was, it was a really big jump and a really big challenge, um, to be in charge of. Were you ready for it? Um, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, it wasn't too much of a disaster. It doesn't exist anymore, but we did all right. Um, (laughs) It was hard work. It was really hard work. Um, I was getting into work about two in the morning, leaving at about one in the afternoon. Um, so we did two 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 hour bulletins. Uh, sorry, two one hour bulletins every day. Um, one on air at I think it was five till six, and then we did the morning news eleven till twelve, and they were they were both national bulletins. So, but again, like my experience at sunrise and and morning news at seven meant I knew how to do it. It was just putting it all together and, you know, dealing with, with different people and different resources and all of those sorts of things. Um, that was, that was challenging. And it was, it was physically demanding as well, just keeping up the hours and the energy, you know, you'd put one bulletin to air and then you'd have to pick yourself up and do another one. So it was it was a lot of work. How stressful is doing something like that? Because all of that stuff has to be to the second timed out and things can go wrong with live crosses and other things can go wrong with how packages are in the in the stream and in the system and some of them just 
die out of thin air and then you've suddenly got to fill the yeah. spot and then all of a sudden you're hoping that everybody that's there to do their job has to do their job. How do you manage your sort of stress levels and your health and all of those things in that situation? Because ultimately, like I said before, people that are watching the telecast just assume that it's all running seamlessly, but it's really not, is it? No, often it often it's not. Um, I mean, I wasn't in the control room, I, so I, I when I was at ten, I was um, so I had another person, a lineup producer, who would go into the control room. So they sort of dealt with all that technical um, timing out sort of side of it. Um, even though I had a little bit of experience at that at seven, I actually don't love that. I think it's the numbers, it's the maths thing, freaks me out. Um, but then, you know, all the decisions were on my head every day. So at the end of the day, if stuff went wrong, I was the EP. So it was, you know, up to me to explain what had gone wrong or, or whatever. But um, for those, and I mean, we were on air, we were only on air for eight months, but for those eight months, um, for the little team that we had, you know, I couldn't have asked any more from the people who were working with me. They, every day, everyone put in 100%, even when we knew um, we weren't going to have a show anymore. Everyone just kept going. And that's a big ask from people at two in the morning to keep going and keep that energy up and keep filling an hour of news every single day. So it really, it was a people-driven thing and we were very lucky that everyone kind of had the same attitude every day to get through what was what was really quite tiring. But then you'd sit back and be like, oh, God, we did all of that with a handful of people. Like, it was amazing. It was a much-helded sort of change to the way Channel 10 were going to do things with the the program Wake Up and then the Morning News and Studio 10 and all of that kind of thing. And as you said, it sort of only lasted a little while and then all of a sudden there's a lot of people – including yourself, out of a job. Like, what's that like to, to go through? I mean, we all know that media is very cutthroat at the best of the times, but unless you're in that situation and you've had it done to you, it's really hard to comprehend and, and deal with. Yeah, it was, it was hard. Um, you know, there were there were plenty of tears and and stuff. But then also it was a it was a jump that I took because it was something new and exciting. It was always going to be, you know, it, it could have worked or it couldn't have worked, but I was still always going to take that risk and have, um, you know, the opportunity to EP a show, a news bulletin at, at a relatively young age and be in charge of a team at a relatively young age. So it um, when it kind of all ended and I I um, I could have stayed at 10, I, I made the decision to leave and then come back because they're lovely people and took me back. Um, but I was burnt out from Sydney as well. Like I needed to to get away and just chill out for a bit. Um, it was all just a bit too much and stressful and stuff. So I, I packed up and I ran away to far north Queensland. <laughs> we'll touch on that in a, in, a, in, a, in a sec. But what did you learn from that experience? Like you said, you've gone from being someone that was learning the ropes in TV to running things. How did you feel about dealing with staff and being in charge of staff and, and, and making th- sure that things were running smoothly? I think I spent a lot of my time worrying that 
I wanted just to make sure everyone was happy. Like I just was trying to be this, it's like, you know, when we have birthdays, we'll bring cakes in. Like we used to bring cakes in on a Friday and stuff just to make sure everyone kept their spirits up because the hours were so draining. We sort of, we tried really hard to just stay positive all the time. And we, you know, we did have, it was like what the newsroom provided for us was, was excellent because it was the first time people had to start thinking about delving out resources and reporters and stuff for another show. So, um, everyone was really supportive and I ended up working. Um, my boss was wonderful and gave me, you know, a nine day fortnight, um, just so I could have that little day to kind of recover and, and, um, you know, get my head together for, for the following week. So we, um, you know, while doing the best possible news that we could with what we had, we also were very mindful um, and everyone was very mindful at sort of keeping all of us together and sane as well. Now, tell me about the little move to far north Queensland. Oh, it, was my, it was my sea change. <laughs> I, I think it's odd now that I look back at it because I had just started a uh, relationship and I was like, no, I'm off. I'm going. No one can stop me. (laughs) So I went up to Cairns and I lived on the beach and I worked at Channel 7 um, in Cairns and it was like the year that everything happened in Cairns. I thought it would be quiet and relaxing and we were so busy. You thought you were going to to dog shows every week and that was going to be it? No, I did one cat show. Um, But honestly, people laugh. They're like, oh, it's like you moved to Cairns and all of a sudden all this stuff happened. It's like, but it was, um, yeah, you can't regret anything, can you? And, I mean, I covered stories that I would never cover again, the, like my favourite stories and most um, awful and most memorable stories that I've covered today are from up there. What were they? So we had a cyclone that was, we didn't have a big one, but it was, you know, enough to get blown around the beach. That was, that was all right. Um, a woman who went lost, got lost in the bush for 17 days and walked out alive. And I ended up, you know, in a bidding war, which I never thought I'd do and got kicked out of a hospital and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, it ended up with a story ended up on Sunday night, um, when she'd recovered. So I never thought in Cairns we'd be having visits from, you know, producers from Sunday night and 60 minutes trying to get stories, you know, <laughs> that we're running on our local news. Croc attacks, like there were always crocs, like that's everyone's favourite. Um, and then, yeah, a few days before Christmas was the, the awful um, murders, eight kids murdered in a house like five minutes from our from our office. So it was, um, yeah, you never – you never think, you never know, I guess, what sort of stories you, you're you going to cover. You laugh at it now, but you must also reflect on that time as a, a different learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the the best things about Cairns was, so there's only four of us in the newsroom, um, myself and another girl and two guys. And one one of the guys was, was sport, but he ended up, you know, pretty much helping out when we were short to, to help with everything. Um, and one of the guys was pretty much fresh out of uni. So it was really nice being able to teach him stuff that people had taught me. 
you know, he, he never knew you could just go up and knock on someone's door, like all of those sorts of things. I remember one day sending him out and saying, it's a really quiet day, so you better come back with a story. And he came back and he's like, oh, I've got the the stabbing victim and I've got his dad and I've got the witness neighbours and all of this stuff. And I was like, what? You're amazing. Thank you. Like, so it was, um, yeah, we had a lot of, a lot of those days. Um, I think we were very lucky to all get on like we did as well, because we, we needed it, especially, you know, the, the Christmas that the kids were, were killed. We really needed each other through that. Cause that was, that was not easy. What do you learn from experience like that? Like in terms of, okay, like you said, you sort of got on each other because some of the stuff that you report on, it's not nice and, in fact, it's damn right horrific. So keeping your emotions in check while also conveying a story can be difficult at times. Yeah, it was, it was hard that day because people, people rely on you in a small town. They know who you are and they know that you do the news so you would know stuff. And people were coming up to me that day at the the scene, like the cops had blocked the road off and they were saying, like these were, you know, family members and they were saying, my kids, they go to that house to play. Like what are their names? What are the kids' names? Who are the kids who have died? And we didn't know and I couldn't tell them. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to then say to them, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know. And then they would just turn around and, you know, just melt in, into tears because they, they didn't know if their kids were there or not. Um, and then at the same time, we were essentially, the, the three or four of us were trying to produce our own news bulletin for Cairns and pretty much serve the entire seven network around the country and do stuff for Sky. And we were getting phone calls from overseas. Um, we were doing crosses to, you know, London and, Ireland and Canada TV and it was a very, very bizarre um, and surreal day and it didn't hit till about two days later. We all kind of just just crumbled and, yeah, had to had to prop ourselves selves up and, and keep going and you're part of the community there so you're not just, you know, of course all the other the journalists from, you know, Brisbane and Sydney all flew into town but... We we were the ones that were in the community. You're in the thick of it and you're in the, the heart of it all, whether it's the locals or the cops as well who kind of rely on you too. So you, you're much more heavily involved than just turning up to a story and filing a report and going home. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a tough, but I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that day ever. It was, yeah, a tough day. I guess the one thing Cairns did allow you to do is cut your teeth as a reporter and, and learn things and, and do things that perhaps you wouldn't have been given the opportunity to do if you were in a, a major capital city, but it also allowed you to sort of grow and then so the opportunity came for you to go to Melbourne. So how did that all um, pan out? Yeah, so I um, actually probably did more when I was up there than, than I did anywhere else because so much happened So and because everyone – you know, back at, at seven in Sydney knew I was up there, it was kind of good both ends because they could ring me and, you know, trust me, I guess, in, in that regard and, and same with Sunrise. So we um, 
it was really nice still being in touch with with everyone back back in Sydney. Um, my boyfriend was still at ten in Sydney, and so we we had done long distance for a year, and I was a bit over that and ready to ready to come back. And um, he said, "Look, call call ten and." I was like, oh, okay. And yeah, the, the boss said, I don't have anything for you in Sydney, but would you like to go to Melbourne? And I said, oh, if Joe can come too. And here we both are. So it was, um, there were a few more phone calls than that. I've condensed that story, but it was, um, I was, it was very, um, I felt very lucky that 10, you know, was so welcome to, to take me back after I, I did my runaway for a year and and to to move us both to a, an amazing new city and give us you know a whole new lot of opportunities and new things to to learn like with, I'm still learning I had no idea about AFL and now I'm in an AFL city so you still learn what are you learning down there at the moment I mean obviously it's as you said it's it's a new city it's completely different media market to the ones you've worked in previously. So knowing you as I kind of do, I kind of think that you would be one of these people that would always embrace a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, AFL, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, it's, it's spring racing season now, so I'm super excited getting to do – I got to do all the coverage last year and, and doing it again this year, and that's um, – I love it. Love every second of it. It's a big, big couple of weeks, but the city just comes alive with um, – Melbourne loves an event. And, you know, we get the AFL grand final out of the way and then it's then it's spring racing straight after. So the the colour stories down here are, are excellent. Like, you know, ra- racing – We've got Caulfield Cup on the weekend and then it just rolls on from there. So there's a lot of cool things down here. And then there's different stories again, like, you know, sort of Melbourne's underworld and stuff. So it's different to Sydney again. Um, I think it's quiet. It is quieter than Sydney some days, but then other days, you you know, you you flat out. So it's a a great city. We we love it and we've got a great, great team down here. And it's similar to Sydney, you know, everyone – Everyone sticks together and, you know, your, your colleagues are your mates. It's the same sort of thing. What have been some of your favourite stories that you've covered down there, apart from the spring racing, as you've mentioned? I did, did brown low red carpet a couple of weeks ago. So people laughed that I was the only girl that knew more of the AFL girlfriends than I did the AFL players from following them all on, um, <laughs> on Instagram. Um, I've done a few few country trips. Um, away to some some pretty um, pretty awful murders. We spent last New Year's Eve actually in in the bushfires. So that's yeah. Melbourne has those things sort of every year that kind of roll around. Like even though it's so cold still now, we all sort of in the back of our heads think a couple more months and and there'll be you know you just know there's going to be those bushfires. Um, but it's been it's been good to seeing seeing parts of, of Melbourne that I'd, that I'd not been to, like, you know, the, the Great Ocean Road and just sort of having that, it's one of the great things, you know, about being on the road is having that, that um, opportunity to, to see, to see places, even though, you know, often it's, it's not for great reasons, but you do get to, to see all the, 
all the sites and all the, the different areas. So we're, we're lucky like that. I was going to say, and it probably sounds a little bit, bit of a wank, but does the fact that you've grown up in Brisbane, you've lived and worked in Sydney, you've spent a bit of time in Cairns, and now you're currently living and working in Melbourne, do you feel as though that has improved your reporting base in the fact that, okay, you've seen a bit of the country and you've lived and worked in, in quite a few places? I think you you take away different skill. I think I've taken away different skills from each place. Like Sydney, I think, teaches you to be hard-nosed and, um, you know, they love using the word bulldog in Sydney just to get, you know, it teaches you to be aggressive, I suppose, um, on the road and really fight for a story because the competition is hard. And then Cairns taught me probably probably people skills more than anything because there were days where we were, we you know, we did go into um, fairly remote Indigenous communities um, and you had to learn to deal with different people differently and different scenarios and situations and um, it was a lot of gently, gently kind of approaching cans, whereas in Sydney you sort of all barrel up to everything and off you go, Where whereas cans it was because of, it's probably that more laid-back lifestyle, you sort of have to think, okay, well, these people aren't going to expect a journalist on their, their front doorstep, so how do I do this so they're not completely um, thrown or freaked out or scared or whatever. Then here is sort of different again because I, I still feel like I'm learning the city here, so I'm still kind of, I don't know what I've learned yet here I'm still still getting my head around head around it all do you feel comfortable like it's your home now your home base and that's where you want to sort of spend the next little while improving your skills in in tv and 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 as you say sort of learning the city better and 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 getting better at your job at the same time yeah it's definitely um it's definitely getting getting that way I mean we love um where we live and we're, we're close to work and 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 work's fun. Like, you know, if you can have a laugh with your boss at the end of the day, which we do most days, um, I actually think he's just sent me a text about Batchy, um, then, you know, you know, you, you're in a pretty good, you're in a pretty good position. And we, I mean, we are a smaller newsroom, but that's kind of nice as well that, you know, at, at 10, we might not have the, the resources as everyone else, but we still do just as good a job and we still produce, you know, amazing stories and amazing news every night. Even those days where you turn around and go, God, how did that get to air? Like, you know, those scramble days, but you do it. And, and that's, so I, I still do um, some producing here as well and, and get to EP here when um, our EP's away. So, and that, that has been learning like down here sport, AFL, you know, we'll go on your first break of news because it's it's a footy city, but I've had to learn that. Like I would turn my nose up at that before and be like, oh, that's a sports story, I put it in sport. But, you know, you learn to adapt to your environment and, um, and you know, our, our boss is, is really good at sort of helping me <laughs> see that by saying, Georgie, it's footy, you love it. I'm like, yep, okay, I forgot, put it in. So they're um, all sort of different little aspects of it um of it now but yeah it's a, it's a great city and there's so much more 
yeah, that I, I want to do here and want to explore. So, and you never, yeah, you just never know, do you, what, what's going to happen next in this industry? I guess the common theme that's sort of run through this podcast series in media, you don't get paid what people think you get paid and there's a lot of doing the job that you do because you love it, you love the rush. Is that pretty much how you approach things? Yeah, I think so. And I can't, people say, what else would you do? And I don't have an answer for them. I don't know what else I would do. This is, this is it. And, you know, where else do you get to, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but, you know, those, those days where even like celebrity interviews and stuff like that, like when else would you get to do something like that? You just, you just wouldn't or, or see, you know, amazing places or hear people's stories. Like, that's, you know, that's why you do it and, it and it keeps you going through those those tough days or, you know, crappy days or, or days where you might not get a story and you just sit around all day waiting for something to happen and then nothing happens. But, you know, the next day you might get a cracker and get something on your own and you think, yeah, that was that was worth it. And, and you know, you, you've earned it then. So, and if you can, yeah, come home at the end of the day and and feel proud of what you've done, then I think that makes it all all worth it. You've been super generous with your time, so I'll let you go in a sec. But before we do, I just want to get some advice from you for people that are looking to break into media. So whether that's radio, TV or whatever, you've experienced it from a number of different levels. So you will give us a really great perspective on what it's like to sort of cover a few different aspects of the media. Um, sure. Once I, I spoke at, I think it was at Maclay College and I said, oh, if you're a girl, make sure you always have flat shoes. And someone tweeted that, that that was my best bit of advice um, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's all right. Um, but I, what about think, one for the boys? Yeah, one for the boys. Um, look, I think you've just got to, you've kind of just got to throw yourself into it. I think like, um, all of the things I've done and then the, the decisions I've made, whether it was, it was changing a job or changing a role or, you know, moving up north, you're never going to not take anything away from those decisions. So you've just got to do it. And I think if you if you do want to go into TV, the more skills you have, the more valuable. You can never have too many skills under your belt, whether it's a, a lineup producer or a story producer. It all helps, you know, for, for on air in the end, um, why I, I believe it does. Um, so you just, yeah, take everything that you can get really and listen, listen to people if they've got a story for you. Don't just blow them off because you might not like the way they look or talk or something. You know, everyone's got something to say. So you never know. It could be the best story you you do. So have time for people. Georgina McCaro, thanks very much for your time. Thank you for having me. There she is, Georgina McCaro from Channel 10 in Melbourne. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Georgina, please let her know by sending her a tweet. She's at Georgie McCaro. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. 
Media Nights Podcast.